Well, good morning, church. Wow. You have no idea how good it feels to hear a voice. <laughs> I've said good morning to a camera and good morning to you who are joining us. To, this is our live stream hour, so uh, there are some of you I know. I saw about 70 homes that are joining us online still. We look forward to seeing you guys too soon. Uh, I may not look at the camera much today, quite honestly, because I just enjoy seeing faces, so we're thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 13. Psalm chapter 13. Uh, We're going to be starting a new series, which you've heard us probably, if you've been on social media at all, you've heard us talking about it. And perhaps you watched Pastor Kevin Clark's uh, intro message this past Wednesday night. If you haven't, you can always go to our YouTube page and watch that later. It's a great summary of kind of the Book of Psalms overview, and specifically Psalm 1. Uh, But it's been a long time coming. Uh, If you haven't done the math yet, it's been almost three months since we've gathered together. The last time we gathered in person in here was March 15th. It's a long time ago, March 15th. And so many of us have been wondering and probably even asking that question, how long will it be until we can gather again? And finally, in some ways, we're here, not fully yet and not completely normal. But there's other how longs that we still are wondering, how long until masks and gloves and social distancing isn't a thing? How long until we have a vaccine for COVID-19? How long until we can have children's ministry again? Amen, parents, right? Many of you are wondering that, and some of you might even be staying home today because we don't. Uh, How long until there's sporting events and concerts, these large gatherings that we become so accustomed to in our culture? How long until we can hug and shake hands and not have to worry first about whether we're offending or putting someone in danger or at risk, right? We all have a how long. A lot of us have those how longs, but perhaps there's other how longs in your life. Maybe you haven't thought of them recently. How long until my work stops taking advantage of me and I get that raise I was promised? How long until the financial pressures are gone in our family and the debt is paid off? How long will I stay in this marriage where my husband doesn't love me like he should or my kids like he should? Or how long will my wife not appreciate what I do? How long will my children be wayward and walk away from the faith? How long will I feel alone? And not have a partner, maybe you're a widow or a widower, or maybe you wish you were married. How long will I have to go on like this? How long will I continue to fail? Will I ever be successful? It seems like no matter what I do, I keep messing up. How long will I have to deal with physical pain? How long will I have to deal with mental anguish and slavery to depression and anxiety? And this week, our culture has reminded us of how long that's been going on for 400 plus years in in America. How long will our culture be so broken? How long will racism and injustice rule? How long will police brutality and justice even happen at all? How long? And as we begin our psalm study today, you will notice something unique about the book of Psalms. It's, It's refreshing in a way that may be different. It's unique in Scripture. Because the book of Psalms, if you watch Pastor Kevin's message, he mentioned that the book of Psalms is actually a song book. The word psalm actually means song in in our language. And so just like any musician can write something in music that can express what's in your heart in a way that simple words wouldn't suffice, the psalms are full of emotional language. They're not first and primarily a theological book, although there is theology in here, but they're primarily an emotional book. 
where you are full, there is full of, chock full of emotional cries and praises and complaints and prayers. The writers often wear their heart on their sleeve. It feels like they were crying as they were writing. In fact, the psalm that we're about to read probably feels that way. But it's refreshing to us as a way to engage and a model for how we can relate to the Lord. So let's jump in to Psalm 13. And I think you'll see what I mean when David asks a familiar question that all of us ask. Here's verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, if you're following along, I'd encourage you, if you have your bulletin, to take those out. If you're online, you can follow along, and we'll have the points on the screen. But this this psalm can really be broken down into three distinct sections, okay? And what you'll see in verses 1 through 2 is David's disorientation. And then in verses 3 and 4, you'll see his response to that. And then in verses 5 and 6, you'll see his reorientation, where his thoughts are reoriented to the right thinking. This is really a model for us of how to deal with depression and pain. Whenever you have unpleasant thoughts, this is a great psalm to go to as a demonstration of how to engage with those. So let's start with 1 and 2, disorientation. Now, we all feel this feeling, you might not call it disorientation, but disoriented, to be disoriented means to lose your sense of direction. It means to be off balance. It means to be caught off guard, to be confused, to be unsettled, so to speak. Nobody likes feeling this way, but often all of us feel this way. And it could be as simple as losing directions, like you're lost. You could be out in the woods and lose the, the direction or, or lost in your driving. And thankfully, Google Maps and, and, and you know, modern GPS has helped us solve most of those problems. But if you're still one of those stubborn people that doesn't use those, I can't help you, right? Maybe it could be jet lag after you have a long plane ride and your body isn't figured out what time it is and you're tired during the day and awake at night. That's disorientation. But it could be more painful. It could be what we've experienced over the last two months with everything being shut down and all your normal ways of living, and you feel disoriented. What am I doing? I don't even know how to live right now. Or it could be even worse than that. The last two weeks, seeing national news, not so much locally, but nationally and all over our our planet, really, but especially in America, seeing these disorienting thoughts of George Floyd's murder and hearing news that just unsettles you. Seeing riots and anger and hatred And I think all of us collectively would agree that we feel a bit unsettled, don't we? We feel a bit unsettled right now. And this type of feeling seems to drag on, which is why often when you feel this way, you say, how long will I feel this way? Because if the old adage is time flies when you're having fun, which is true, almost the opposite is true when you're in pain. Time stands still and the clock moves really slow. 
And often it goes in stages. When you are struggling with these thoughts, it tends to spiral out of control. And some of you are like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so in your bulletin, I've listed off five Ds. And these are not original with me, but these are really the kind of the stages of getting worse and worse and worse in your thoughts. And it starts with disillusionment. And you see that in verse 1, that David says, how long will you forget me? And at this point, you're kind of losing touch with what's real. When things happen that you didn't expect, you begin to question, God, why would you let this happen? How long will you forget me? Forever? Now listen, can God forget his people? Can God forget his children? No. Listen to what Isaiah 49 says. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So God's people felt this before. Listen to how God responds. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Can you imagine a mother nursing her baby to forget about her child? And then God says, though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now, here's the problem. Have you ever been there where your mind knows something to be true, but your heart isn't there yet? Where you think it, And you know it theoretically or in theory, but your heart or your feelings are not there. And if that's you, David gets you. And so do I. Because we might, in theory, know that God can't forget us, but it sure feels like he's forgotten us. You with me? And it goes down. He becomes discouraged. That's the next D, discouragement. How long will you hide your face from me? I can't see God's face. I can't see him working. Why have you turned your back? And if you have the message translation, I love Eugene Peterson's words. He says, I've looked at the back of your head long enough. I feel like you've turned away. You don't see me, God. Have you ever felt unseen? Like God doesn't see you. You're not alone. So David turns next to try and figure it out. Because when you're feeling this way, you're like, why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? And he begins to wrestle in his mind, which leads him to despair. That's the third D, despair. How long must I wrestle in my thoughts? Here David is arguing with himself. What's keeping you up at night? David is kept up at night with this agony. Why can't I feel God? Why is God not here? And he's arguing with himself in his mind. And when we're left to our own thoughts, maybe it's about the problem of evil. Maybe it's, why, God, would you let bad things happen to good people? Why would you let this happen? Where are you? Are you here at all? And you don't hear his voice, and you just begin arguing with yourself. It leads you down the spiral to the fourth D, depression. And David says, and day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. His mind is playing tricks on him, and now his heart is full of sorrow. When the darkness will not lift. You know, there are some things that are better off swallowed than chewed, right? Think about your kids, right? When your kids are at the dinner table, and you tell them you got to eat your veggies before you get up, and all they have to do, kids, pay attention. (laughs) All you have to do is swallow the peas. That's it. Chew it and swallow it. Quick, chug it with some milk. But what do they do? They chew it and chew it and chew it. Maybe your kids are not as strange as mine, but this is what they do. And they just chew it and chew it and chew it almost till it becomes a paste all over their mouth. 
It's disgusting, right? And it's just nasty. And what they've taken that they didn't like, they've made it worse because they're chewing on it and ruminating over it. Friends, that is depression. Because what could have been and what we hoped to just move past and swallow down, we can't get out of our mouths. We can't get it out of our heart. It's been said that depression is like a waterfall that's just pounding you at the bottom. And you can't get over it. Your mind gets stuck. And some of you have been there in the last two months and maybe before that. And it's just overwhelmingly dark. And that leads, David, to the last D, defeat. How long will my enemy triumph over me? No matter what you do, you feel like you're failing. And this is utterly crushing. There is no pain quite as bad as failure. Especially as a man, and I know women struggle with failure too, but as a man, there's something in us as a man that wants to have what it takes, that wants to accomplish it. And when you fail as a man, it crushes you inside. It's crushing. Now, this might seem really depressing and, and bad news-ish, kind of. You're like, really? This is the psalm we started getting back to church with? <laughs> but here's why it's not. Because this is in the Bible. This verse, these verses are actually in the Scripture. And you know why that's encouraging? Because God doesn't condemn you for feeling this way. God doesn't condemn you for being depressed. He doesn't condemn you for having a wrestling mind. God doesn't condemn you. In fact, he preserved his word, one of his men after his own heart, that deeply struggled with depression so that we could learn. God doesn't condemn you. He doesn't condemn me. I love Matt Chandler's line. It's in your bulletin, so you don't have to write it down. But if you're at home, you might want to write this down. Simple quote. It's okay to not be okay. Let's just be honest. No one is okay, right? It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to be okay with that. It's not okay to stay there. It's okay to not be okay. Everybody's messed up, but it's not okay to be okay with that. When David, what David feels in verses one through two is not actually the case, but he feels it. It doesn't change the fact that he feels it. It might not be the truth that God hasn't left him, but it sure feels like he left him. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, many would say that, uh, he, he said this. This is also in your notes. Uh, but he struggled deeply with depression himself. What? Preachers struggle with depression? Yep. And he said, we are all prone to play the most on the worst string. We are all prone to play the most on the worst string. And if you're a musician, you know exactly what he's talking about. Because if you're in a musician and you're playing a guitar or a violin and you have one bad string, what is the string you hear? The bad one. (laughs) You don't hear all the other good ones. You hear the bad one. And we are all prone to forget the blessings and the joys and the graces and to replay in our mind the pain. Just like Spurgeon. So when you feel this way, what should you do? How do you respond to this? When you feel disorientation, it's okay to be this way and feel this way, but it's not okay to stay there, so what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I am not going to make a major decision about my life when I feel like this. 
I am not going to sell my house. I'm not going to get a divorce. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to do some major thing. Why? Because my mind isn't clear. I'm not thinking clearly. And I'm not going to have an important conversation. I'm not going to post on Facebook all the people I'm mad at. Why? Because this is a terrible time to have a long, important conversation with someone when your heart is not at peace and your mind is not at rest. And I'm not going to judge my spirituality or someone else's spirituality during this time. I'm not going to say, well, because I feel this way, God must not love me. I must not be a Christian. How could a Christian be depressed? Good people don't get depressed. This is what you think. Or I'm not going to look at other people who aren't depressed and be like, why are they not depressed? What's wrong with them? Why aren't they as angry about this as I am? And then judge them. Or you might say, well, they must be perfect. They have no problems. You see? When your mind is clouded, that's a bad time to make conclusions. When your mind is clouded, don't make conclusions. So what should you do? What was David's response? He actively put himself in a position to listen to God. And I chose every one of those words on purpose. Response. Actively put yourself. Let's throw that on the screen for those at home. Actively put yourself in a position to listen. Position yourself underneath God. He says, look on me in verse 3 and answer me by God. David turns with his complaint and says, God, you're the only one that can help me. You're the only one who can, like we just sang. What tends to happen in times of deep despair and depression and disorientation is that we get passive. We give up. We acquiesce. We lay in our beds. We veg on Netflix. We play video games. We eat our feelings with chocolate. And those are not hypotheticals, friends. Those are all things that I've done in the last two months to deal with depression. And I kind of say that laughingly, but I also say that with a tear. Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife, uh, maybe you don't know that name, but she was the wife of Jim Elliot, who served in South America to the Aka Indians and was martyred virtually before he even started. Elizabeth Elliot was extremely depressed when her husband died. And you can imagine that, right? God, my husband was going to serve you in the mission field and you let him die, like day one. How disorienting would that have been? What? And she really struggled with depression during that time and doubt and, and, and wrestling it out with the Lord. But I loved what she said. She, she said in her, in her biographies and her writing about this and meditating on it, she said, sometimes, friends, you just need to do the next thing. You just need to get out of bed. You just need to brush your teeth. Bake a pie, she would say. Do something. Don't be passive. Because that's what happens when depression wins. Be active, and David does this. He's not passive. He's actively going to God, and he begs the Lord to answer, and he says, Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Let me see through this dark. When it's dark, what do you do? When you can't see where you're going in your house, what do you do? This is not a hypothetical. What do you do? Turn on the light, right? You don't sit there and stub your toe and step on Legos that are like jagged knives, right? You turn on the light. Friends, where is the light? Now, I'm not saying somebody at the last service said, the wall. <laughs> where is the light? It's in God's word. 
Most, scholar, most scholars believe that David wrote Psalm 119, and in Psalm 119, 105, it says this, Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light unto my path. So when you're in the depths, when you're in the darkness, position yourself underneath the word of God. Pick up the Bible. So wait a second, Matt. You're telling us to read the Bible and pray? Yes. And we say it on repeat. Here's why. Because I know that if I listen to myself, I can't fix it. If I listen to my own heart, I cannot solve my problems. Psychology would tell you that the solving of the problems is coming from within. It's a lie. We are not capable of fixing ourselves. We need an outside light source to shine in the light of God's countenance. Now, here's why the word is so essential. It's one of our core values that are on the wall outside the doors. Here's why the word is so essential. Because God's word speaks to you and speaks to me differently than you speak to you. God's word speaks to you differently than your culture speaks to you. Just think about one example, and this is a very relevant subject for all the stuff that's going on right now. Just think about pain. How do you speak to yourself about pain? And how does your culture speak to you? We live in the most pain avoidance culture in human history. Because of modern medicine, praise Jesus for that. I'm not trying to knock that at all. Praise Jesus for Tylenol. <laughs> but we are quick to take Tylenol with any little ache and pain that we have, right? Aren't we? Now, I'm not saying taking medication is bad. But what I am saying is you are training yourself to hate and think pain is evil. And to think it has no purpose other than to be eliminated. And that is what our culture and what we are telling ourselves. That pain has no value. That it's evil that I need to kill it and get rid of it, medicate it away. I need to avoid it. And when bad things happen, physically, emotionally, psychologically, we don't know how to deal with it. We doubt God. God, I know pain is bad, so if you're allowing this to happen, it must be bad and you must not be real. That's what we do. We deny God because we think pain is in some ways purposeless, meaningless, evil. But listen to how God's word speaks about just pain. I'm going to read just three verses. You can write these down and read them later. I'll show it to you. 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter says, don't be surprised by it. It's not strange. It's normal. James 1.2 says, consider it joy when you face trials because you know that it works out for your, your endurance. Tra pain is actually something that God uses for good, God's word says. Or John 16.33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble. Pain should be expected, according to Jesus. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So when disorienting and distressing times come, when you have pain, God invites you not to self-hatred, not to immediate pain relief or mind-numbing distraction on Netflix binges, but to submission to him, to position yourself underneath him. When life caves in on us, that is probably the only time that we actually surrender. C.S. Lewis comments on the danger of Christians and really anyone not surrendering. He says it like this. God cannot bless us 
unless he has us. Think about that. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become your will. When this happens, it's a beautiful thing, friends, and and I can speak from very personal experience, and I'm going to be really transparent for the next minute, and I hope you don't take this in any way to, to see, like I'm asking for sympathy. I'm just trying to tell you how I'm dealing with this myself. I struggle with depression. I've struggled with anxiety for a long time, and anxiety and depression are very much like twins. And over the last two months, it's been a very difficult time in my own soul. So much so that my wife came to me one day and she was like, Matt, what is wrong? Like, what's going on in your heart? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I felt like giving up. Why be a pastor if I'm not? I'm not saying any of these are rational thoughts. Why being a pastor? Why being a pastor when my people are socially distanced and our church is struggling with a pandemic and we're not being the light of the world? Youth group isn't going like I liked. Half of our kids or more are not engaging. I'm a failure as a father because everybody's irritated and so I just get mad and yell and I feel like I'm messing up every single day. It was deep, man. Struggling with these deep feelings of failure. I don't have what it takes. It was in this time that I pressed into God and I'm still pressing in to be honest. And something became very clear to me that I did not like about myself. I am a people pleaser. And I want to be successful. And I have a desire to be liked and praised. And I'm sure many of us do. But because I wasn't receiving that, I was discouraged and despairing. And this was a gift from God. This is not the first time the Lord has revealed this kind of thing to me because I am gripped and enslaved with a people-pleasing mentality. I need to be revealed (laughs) this often to doing enough to feel good about myself because I can't right now and because all these things have been shut down. I'm angry and I'm depressed and I'm irritable. Success would have been the worst thing that could have happened to me in that moment. But by God's grace, he showed me And let me fail, for he revealed my heart and empowered me through his spirit to be Christ-like. And I don't say that I'm finished. I am not. But I'm thankful. Because in that moment, God reoriented my heart. He took me from a place of depression and despair. And as I positioned myself underneath his word, he reoriented my heart. This is what David experiences in verses 5 and 6. Listen to how he changes his tune. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now this isn't a, I feel so much better now, unicorns and rainbows. This isn't a, my circumstances have changed. This is one verse (laughs) later. Likely, his circumstances are still bad, and he still feels like he feels. Yet, this is David wrestling it out and saying, God, I'm going to praise you, even if I can't feel you. Three things David praises God for that he knew to be true. Praises God for his salvation, 
He praises God for his future hope, and he praises God for his past mercies. And when you are in darkness, these three truths will really help you experience some semblance of light. Praise God for his salvation. He says, but I have, in verse 5, trusted in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And this is so helpful to me, and this psalm has been so meaningful to me. Think of Jesus praying, verses 1 through 4. Many of you read Psalm 22 yesterday. If you've been tracking with our reading plan, Jesus prayed, verse 1 of Psalm 22 on the cross. So Jesus knew the psalms, and he prayed them. Think of Jesus praying, because we said uh, David's experience was not reality, but for Jesus, it was reality. He was forsaken by his father. His father's face did turn away from him. Jesus experienced his father turning his face, which was what it meant to be cursed. It was the ultimate curse, isolation from his father. On the cross, Christ experienced enemies sneering at him and seemingly defeating him and conquering him and beating him to a bloody pulp. His sweat and He sweat blood in the garden just thinking about his impending crucifixion and how he would drink up the Father's wrath. Remember Christ crucified and forsaken. Jesus was all of those things so that Psalm 13, 1-4 would never actually be true of you. Jesus became forsaken so that you would never be. Jesus became cursed so that the Father would never actually turn his face from you. He experienced God's wrath so that you would experience God's grace and blessing and have access to his throne. Now, friend, when you are in despair, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Look at Jesus praying Psalm 13, 1 through 4. And experiencing the Father's agonizing wrath. And don't lose heart. You can sing even in the worst of circumstances when you know who Jesus is. Secondly, he praises God for his future. His future hope and grace. David says in verse 6, I will, future tense, sing to the Lord. That's not just a declaration, it's an anticipation. David is confident that he will, this will not last forever. All pain is temporary and has a purpose. It will not last forever. God will work all things together for good for those who are, love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And when you and I get to heaven, we will be surprised by what God was doing that we didn't see. All pain will be healed. Revelation says that the tree of life has healing for the nations. That there will be no sickness and death, and pain. Keep looking ahead to the future when you can't feel it in the present. But I understand when you're depressed and when you're dark, it's very, very difficult to look ahead. And if that's the case, praise God for his past mercies. Look back. For he has been good to me. He ends the psalm. God has a track record of faithfulness in every single one of your lives. You may not realize it, but he does. Salvation is the foundation of that track record. But every good gift that the Father has given you, whether it's physical health, owning possessions, family, any of those things are gifts from the Lord that we tend not to focus on. Like Spurgeon said, we always play the worst string, so play another string. (laughs) When I've had a guitar go out of tune or my string breaks, I play the other five. 
Sometimes you just need to play the other ones. Remember God's faithfulness and his past mercies when you can't hear and feel him in the present tense. So, friends, disorientation is going to happen. It's okay to not be okay. And when it does, how will you respond? It's not okay to be okay with that and just sit there. Respond by positioning yourself in a position to listen. And then allow God to reorient your heart, to be in line with his Holy Spirit, to be in line with what the gospel says is true about you, to be in line with where you're headed and where you've been as you meditate on who God is and what he's done. Let's pray. Oh God, I'm sure many of us are disoriented. I'm sure many of us are discouraged. We look at the news and the news is a repeat of bad news and more bad news. And maybe it's not even the news. Maybe it's our own lives. Maybe people are gripped with fear, anxiety, tragedy, sickness. Maybe jobs have been lost. Maybe jobs are never going to be the same. God, we are disoriented. God, give us the courage and the faith to surrender our disorientation to you. And allow you, God, to speak the truth of your word over our hearts. Give light to our eyes or we will sleep in death. Our enemies will win. Unless you speak, we will not be alive. We are desperate for your word in these times. Reorient our hearts. Reorient our minds back to you, Lord. And we will praise you. We'll do that even now as we sing. We will praise you because we know that you have been good to us and you will be good to us and you've proved your love for us through Christ on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.